Hello, it's John T. Bennett here, Washington Bureau Chief for The Independent. Welcome to The Independent Premium Events Podcast. In this series, you'll get the chance to listen back to all of the live events that we put on here at the Indy for our premium subscribers. If you aren't already subscribed, click the link in the description and sign up today for access to loads of exclusive articles, including in-depth analysis from people like me, long reads, opinion pieces, and much, much more. As a subscriber, you can attend events like the one you're about to hear for free and get involved with them as well. So make sure you click on the link in the description of this podcast and subscribe to Independent Premium. Hi, everyone. Welcome to uh, the Independent's uh, most recent uh, premium virtual event. Um, I'm the Independent's U.S. editor, and um, we are here to talk today about the U.S. election. We are one day ahead of um, the first big presidential debate, and I think now uh, 36 days from the election, kind of 36, 35 um, and so, you know, things are hotting up more than ever. Um, I'm joined today by um, our great panel of speakers. I have um, Andrew Buncombe, who's a chief US correspondent, John Bennett, who's our Washington bureau chief. I've got Ahmed Baba, who's um, one of the independence columnists on um, politics and is a media consultant, and Holly Box Baxter, who's our opinion editor over here in the US. Um, so without further ado, um, we'll start with the questions. Uh, our first question today is from uh, John Newman. Do we have John? Hello. Hi, John. Far ahead. Hi there. Hi there. I'm trying to get the video sorted. Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. That's great. You can. Hi, John. Can you see me? We can. We can. Smash. <laughs> So my question is uh, hopefully fairly straightforward. Um, it goes back to 2016 and says most people, most of us, didn't expect Trump to win in 2016. So is history poised to repeat itself? Okay, who wants to start with that one? Uh, Andrew, can I come to you with that? Yeah, hi, John. Um... I don't want to sound like a like a know-it-all, but about uh, four years ago, I was one of the people who said, while it seemed like Hillary Clinton was going to win and the polls indicated she was going to win, and indeed she did win the popular vote by more than three million, three million votes. Um, I had seen Trump in action, and I was of the belief, like some were, that he could also do it, that he was a stronger candidate than many thought, that he wasn't being taken seriously, and that Mrs. Clinton had um, a number of faults uh, in her campaign, uh, in the fact that she took perhaps the victory for granted, and um, and that she ignored massive, uh, massive parts of the country very, very foolishly. And as you know, it's not about a popular vote. It's about the electoral college. So even though uh, the polls would suggest that uh, Mr. Biden ought to do it, it's going to come down, I think, to uh, it's going to come down to a handful of states where it's going to be on the margins uh, in the in the traditional places where it always is, Florida, Ohio, um, uh, Nevada, Arizona, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and these parts of the country where the race is really tightening. So I think there's certainly a chance for Trump to do it. I'd say 50-50 is what I think right now. Okay. Uh, Ahmed, what, what do you think about that? Do you think that um, it's going to be down to the wire? Well, I'm, I'm actually a little bit more uh, bullish on a Trump loss because I just think uh, when it comes to uh, those are all excellent points, and I think the difference this time is Trump has a record to run on, or he doesn't really want to run on it. He's trying to kind of run away from it, given how much coronavirus has just completely um, swarmed his entire uh, candidacy. He can't he can't get away from it. And the the main differences here, I'd say, is that um, the the youth I think is going to have much higher turnout. We're seeing higher voter registration in the states uh, that Andrew mentioned, you know, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, 
Uh, Pennsylvania, we're seeing Biden holding pretty sizable margins. I think uh, last time I checked, it was Florida was like Biden ahead by like one, Pennsylvania four, uh, Wisconsin seven on the averages. So he's pulling ahead in the, in the states that Trump won the election through just 80, less than 80,000 votes. And I think this time around, I also wrote an article for The Independent this past weekend where I, I think, I speculate, that the Supreme Court uh, vacancy push is going to have a similar effect that 2018, um, 2018's Kavanaugh push had, where it's going to further alienate the suburban woman that Trump is claiming he's saving from mass invasions of, of Black people that don't exist. Um, and it's not going to, uh, to work, I think. And I think... Mm. Personally, I'm leaning more into the 60-70% that he loses. Yeah. And on that, um, John, I don't know if you want to um, kind of intervene there. You know, it's an interesting point. Is Trump's base enough? I mean, all the things that he's doing recently, we, we often write about how this is perfect for his base, but is his base alone going to win him this election? It, well, well, he it might. It, it, I think it might. I think uh, he has the momentum right now. I... Um, I, I don't think this is editorializing as a reporter. I think this is this is just an objective assessment. I frankly don't know what the Biden campaign is doing right now. I, I really feel like if you're a sports fan out there, it feels like you know when your when your favorite team, it feels like the coach is trying to lose the game sometimes. It, you know he called a lid this morning again before 10 a.m. Uh, Trump's going to be out today. Uh, Trump's doing multiple events, and we don't really see the former vice president. You look at these Trump rallies, and you know, I think Ahmed's right. Everything he said is right, but there's just something about Trump. You look at these rallies, these people, sure, it's at an airport hangar. They're 30 people deep away from the stage. These are big crowds. Um, I don't think Joe Biden could do that. I think enthusiasm is going to play a big role here. I was talking to an old source who's been in this game in Washington decades over the weekend, and he made a great point about COVID conditions. As we get into November, we get more bad, you know, the weather gets worse. So what if in Pennsylvania and Ohio and another Rust Belt swing state, there's a big rainstorm or there's just bad weather and we're expecting huge lines. We've already seen huge waits where there's been early voting. So there's so many different factors here that could break either way in a very close race in, as I think Andrew said, you know, in four or five states. Bad, something like bad weather and long lines could tip this thing one way or another, but I really think the president has the momentum right now. And, and Biden is, is really, it's kind of a ho-hum. I hate to use the president's term. We, we all hate to use the president's language, but it's a rather low energy campaign right now. And I don't get the sense that the Biden campaign thinks they need to change their strategy. And, and there's just something right now about the president, even with the tax bombshell story last night, he avoids his taxes and hasn't paid very much. It just, this guy has an ability to just keep moving forward, to absorb it all. He has an event at 3.30 at the White House today to talk about coronavirus testing. I assume he'll take questions at the end. And he's gonna do that Trump thing. He's gonna flip it back on the New York Times, I would predict, and by tomorrow morning, We'll be on to something else, and the polls will, in those swing states, continue. He'll be catching up. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be closing ground on the vice president, uh, and then we go into the debate tomorrow night. And the, you know, it's it, the text thing will be gone by tomorrow night, unless the unless Vice President Biden can find a way to inject that into some of his attack lines tomorrow night. But. It, it just feels like the momentum's there and Trump just, because he, he creates so much chaos, he can move beyond the chaos and then he creates more chaos. And I just, I just don't see Biden doing right now what it seems like he needs to do to win. There's no buzz, there's no energy. And, and then you throw in COVID and, and those questions that I, I think the president can, can steal it. I, I don't think it's quite 60 or 7% for Biden. If I had to bet right now, I would probably put my money on the president. Wow, so you can see from our panel, John, uh, even our panel is kind of divided by the middle. Holly, maybe you can uh, give us a deciding vote here. W what do you think? Do you think that there is not enough buzz for Biden, Holly? 
I would say I'm pretty much on 50-50 right now as well. I think that, um, I mean, I agree with pretty much all of the points that have already been made. I think that at this point, um, it is a little bit of a low energy campaign on the Biden side. And I think it will become more about the voters that Trump loses than the ones that Biden wins. So, for instance, um, when Trump said things like, oh, you know, we could maybe just throw away some of those ballots or um, he said in a press conference, you know, maybe there wouldn't be a transition and he seemed to imply like there wouldn't be a peaceful transition if he lost the election. Um, I think that really played badly with a set of voters who Republicans generally rely on and those are Latin American voters in Florida. They're usually really good at tipping the balance in an election. Uh, they do vote Republican usually because they generally come from socialist countries and the fear mongering around so-called socialism and sort of saying that it's communism um, does kind of work on a lot of people um, in America in general, but especially from people who have had to flee socialist regimes. And um, I think Trump was really trying to play to them a lot recently, but when he moved into authoritarian language, he suddenly started sounding like one of those dictators. And it seems like he put a lot of them off because Biden is now polling quite well in Florida. So things like that, and as Ahmed said, saying things that play really badly with the white suburban women, who just sort of pushed it over the line for Trump last time. I think if he loses enough of those people, it might still go Biden's way. So, so basically kind of Trump's his own worst enemy as opposed, you know, you don't need that Biden buzz because the president might do something that kind of tips the balance against himself. Well, I, I would hope. And I think the Biden campaign <laughs> is somewhat um, relying on that as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you for that start, John. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to move on to our next questioner, who's uh, Noor Kadim. Noor, are you there? Yes, uh, thank you Hi. very much. Hi, can you hear me? We can, thank you. Um, thanks to the panellists for your valuable insights. I'm an international disputes lawyer in London and freelance journalist. Sometimes I write for The Independent, so thank you for, to The Independent for allowing me to put this question. So in, a, in an LSC lecture delivered this summer, the US political scientist, uh, Professor Joseph Nye, opined that if Trump doesn't win in November, any damage he has done to US policy and the legal and constitutional framework of the US can be undone. But if he is reelected, he can cause lasting and ir irreversible damage, which is quite worrying. So I just wanted to know what the panel's view was on that. Um, John, do you want to start with that? What, what could we expect from a second Trump term? Oh, John, I think we've got you on mute. Yeah, there we on go. Mute, yeah. uh, user error as, as usual. Uh, you know, we could really see Trump, and we've written on this actually, that, and, and experts told us that what they would really expect is Trump would, would do things and make decisions in a second term really to try to benefit himself, and he would, he would push norms even further um, you know, possibly to, uh, to crack down on Justice Department investigations into his businesses. I think we can say now that the, with some certainty that the Southern District of New York, a wing of the Justice Department, is investigating his family, his businesses, um, his own activities. And uh, experts said a few months ago in, for our article that um, that's really where they would look. How would Trump try to change norms and, and, and possibly break the law um, to keep himself out of hot water um, at the end of a second term. So I think that's one thing uh, to look for. You know, there's always talk of, you know, would he try to change the rules essentially to, to get a third term? Um, we'll see, he'll be, you know, he'll be 77, 78 at the end of a possible second term. He might just wanna go play golf uh, like the rest of us when we're done uh, working. But that's really, that's really the crux of it. But, you know, he, we've seen him weigh in um, on Justice Department things, but uh, really those Justice Department investigations of himself and his family and his businesses, that's, that's where experts would expect him to really put his thumb down in a second term. Andy, do you want, Andrew, do you want to weigh in on this one? 
My, uh, my, my biggest concern about a second ter um, term of Trump and uh, the danger it, it represents to the world, I guess, is uh, less about the legal norms he changes here in the US and his relationship with the Constitution, but it's about the environment. I, uh, I think that uh, one of the starkest dangers we're seeing right now is the danger um, of just to, uh, of giving up the global leadership that the U.S. had taken on uh, on dealing with the climate crisis. I got back from Florida, um, from Oregon last week, uh, covering the wildfires, and everyone there was in no doubt uh, that climate change was a real thing. They'd seen it in front of their eyes. They'd seen drier forests. They'd seen more intense fires. And one of the things that uh, the president has done over the last uh, four years, nor um, as you'll know, is that he's pushed back all the regulations that Barack Obama uh, introduced on, on, on climate change. He, uh, he, he announced he wanted to pull the U.S. out of the Paris Accord. Uh, he, he basically, just a week or two ago, he kind of scoffed at the idea that climate change was real. So it's one of the things that um, voters say is really important to them, especially Democratic voters, um, uh, and especially voters out here on the West Coast where I am. But I think perhaps, you know, election time, because it's about the economy, it's about health care, it's about, you know, Trump and his racist, vile kind of rhetoric that he talks about immigration. The issue of um, climate change doesn't always get the attention it should. And I think it's kind of one of those things, a gaping danger. Mm. And, and Ahmed and Holly, I mean, I guess... Um, you know, this question is is getting to how many people kind of, when when thinking about politics, just think, well, the next the next leader comes in, he just undoes everything that's been done before. It's easily solved. Ahmed, what are your thoughts on that? Is Trump someone that's easily reversed, or is America changed? You know, forever in terms of. Well, I think about this all the time. Um, second yeah. term Trump is pretty much. Uh, one of my biggest uh, worries, especially with AG Barr there. So I think I think. Um, that one uh, statement is true that if Biden wins now, we can begin to reverse some of what, what, is, what is done. But second term Trump, I think just from what we've seen will be a revenge machine. I mean, he thinks that they, uh, they're apparently reportedly tamping down the Durham probe now because they think they have SCOTUS and that's enough to distract from coronavirus. So they're going to focus on that. And then term two, I think Barr is going to really kind of do uh, Trump's Trump's bidding, as John mentioned, tamped down on his personal investigations, further probe his political targets. Also, climate change, uh, as Andrew noted, is significant worry. Um, he's already uh, rolled back 100 uh, regulations, and he's going to continue to do that. We also have the judiciary. Uh, he will continue, if he has the Senate, of course, which, I mean, that's a whole different story. But if he has, still has the Senate and the presidency, he'll further push a conservative judiciary, if maybe a potentially another justice, I'm not sure exactly within the next four years. Or uh, there's also the foreign policy, the fact that he'll probably continue to attack the NATO alliance, cozy up to uh, foreign dictators, just super, uh, super rosy, pleasant stuff that's going to make all of us, all of our lives easier. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult uh, in, in a second term. And I think uh, really, hopefully, if he were to lose the Senate, he'd be more uh, more lame duck lashing out with executive orders, hoping that the judges he's appointed uphold his executive orders while he tweets and golfs. Because Lord knows that's really what he wants to do. And uh, just one more point, I'm going to go on too long, but the New York Times report last night really showed that he owes uh, 421 million uh, in debt that's going to be due over the next four years, 300 of which I think is due in the next two. So he's clearly beholden to other factors. He's going to go grow more desperate in the second term as he tries to figure out ways to pay that off. He might leverage the U.S. government to do so. So, I mean, I could go on for another hour just because I think about it so much, but that's, it wouldn't yeah. be great. Bottom but line. yeah, yeah, well, we're going to come back to the question about taxing. Um, taxes uh, later on. But um, Holly, I wondered what your thoughts were on this, because I know certainly, you know, looking ahead of uh, towards the first Trump term, lots of people early on were saying, how wild can it be? What could he actually do? You know, and, and I now I feel like 
I, I speak for all of us, but um, a lot has happened, uh, um, you know, in this first term. What, what do you think the kind of lasting impact could be of yet another kind of Trump term? Yeah, I think back in 2016, we did a lot of talk about him being sort of cowed by the office and uh, realizing what position he was in and uh, that he would step up. And I know that Obama also himself said that. He said, you know, we've got to give this guy a chance mm. to step up to grow into the office. And obviously we've seen um, that that didn't really bother him that much. So in his second term, um, especially if you're thinking about lasting and irreversible damage, like Noah said, um, I think obviously Amy Coney Barrett joining the Supreme Court kind of really makes you think about that because having a president put someone on the Supreme Court for life is uh, very worrying, especially in terms of what that might mean for abortion rights, what that might mean for the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obama. Um, those kinds of rulings could affect entire generations. So they really could be lasting and irreversible. And I'm in an interesting position as well in the job that I do because I have to sort of go and talk to a lot of people um, in various states uh, to get people to write as I'm the opinion editor. And um, so I talk to people with all sorts of varying opinions and I talk to a lot of Trump voters as well. So it gives me an interesting insight into what they're talking about. And one of the things that a lot of um, people who are thinking about voting for Trump this time around have said about a second term is that they really want to see the 14th Amendment uh, reinterpreted. And that's, um, that's an amendment that gives people birthright if they're born in the United States to citizenship. And there's a lot of people saying, well, if someone comes here illegally from Mexico and they have a child here, then the child should be deported. And I've said to them a lot of times, you know, what if the child's 15? They've never lived anywhere else. Uh, they're in the American schooling system, et cetera, et cetera. And after four years of Trump, these people are extremely hardline. They say, We're gonna, we want to punish parents through their children. We want to deport people who otherwise would have had citizenship. And it's a very, it's really going down a dark path when you start flirting with the idea of taking away citizenship um, in terms of birthright in the United States, because it's so precious to the American people that that stays. So things like that, I think, could be really, really dangerous if Trump continues that rhetoric. And if the Supreme Court does start making those more conservative rulings and potentially Trump-friendly rulings. Thanks for that, Holly. Noel, I hope um, that's answered your question. I just wanted to follow up on that and ask um, John, kind of from a procedural DC perspective, if if Biden is voted in, you know, how long does it usually take a president to reverse the, the, the kind of legacy of the, the president that's been before, um, you know, kind of pointing the question that way? How quickly will Biden be able to undo four years of Trump? I think the most recent precedent is Trump himself. And maybe others could weigh in. It's a really good question. Um, maybe it took a year and a half or, or two years for uh, for the Trump folks to to find every bit of the Obama legacy and get the executive orders written. Um, and, you know, they have to be legal, so they have to go through a process at the Justice Department and elsewhere. You know, if the Biden team is is on the ball uh, more in this regard than, in my opinion, they are campaigning, they will have a, a, a stack of executive orders ready uh, on Inauguration Day. And uh, the new president would be sworn in. He'll give his inaugural speech. He'll do the parade down Pennsylvania Avenue. And you know, he'll watch some of the parade outside the White House. And then before the parties and the balls that night, the president, new president goes into the Oval, sits behind the desk. There's a pool spray with reporters. Remember, Trump did that, and he started signing executive orders hours after he took office, doing exactly what you say. He was undoing parts mm. of the Obama legacy. I would expect Biden to start immediately, uh, I would I would expect guys like me and gals like me, a lot of pool sprays, a lot of events uh, with Biden signing executive orders. I think they will they will try to move even faster than Trump. Uh, they but, you know, they care a little more about, say, the law and, and process than the Trump folks. So it might take about the same amount of time, uh, maybe a year and a half to two years. They'll want to do it right and, and they'll want to uh, they'll want to clean up some of the process stuff that the Trump people never really cared about within the agencies, the review processes and, and things. 
Um, so that will take some time to do, but I don't think they'll waste, mm -hmm. uh, they'll try to not waste any time. Yeah. Thank you very much. I was going to say that, that, that it really is important for the aftermath for him to be strong because, as you pointed out, Trump is very, very decisive in what he wants done. And Biden throughout the campaign hasn't been decisive. He hasn't been. He, uh, I covered the, the last two years of the Obama White House, and um, they were very methodical. Uh, they were deliberate. One of my biggest criticisms of President Obama, though, at times, he was too deliberate. He overthought things. He, they would get to a decision and then wait two more weeks, but it was the same decision. It looked exactly like what they had basically decided. And they, they, they were slow and, and they didn't react to things. And I, I, it, the, the, the Biden campaign in that regard to me is the Obama White House. It's, it's slow and deliberative and, and, and that can be good because Trump is the opposite, but it can also, it can also hinder you. And I think that that's something to watch if Biden does win. Will his White House um, not be able to move as quickly as it should? The world's different now than it was in, in, in 2008. I don't think the Obamas really ever caught up to those changes with technology and other things, even though that's ironic because uh, they were the young upstart Democrats. Well, one, one factor that may be helping, uh, helping Noor uh, and I, again, this is some I'm sure Holly and Ahmed can uh, weigh in from a like the progressive point of view and, and the opinions they hear is that it's not simply Biden, right? I mean, this policy platform that he's presenting is essentially uh, a, a, a teamwork that's been done with the input of Bernie Sanders and the likes of AOC because Biden knew he needed progressive support in a way that I think Hillary Clinton didn't. So I think there will be pressure from Biden from within to get going. He, you know, hopefully he's going to have Kamala Harris as his, as his VP, who's going to be another positive force for change. And so I think Biden might have that Biden thing. Heck, you know, we got, we get this, you know, this wave from progressives that he's going to need to get him elected are also going to be saying, well, okay, now we've got you in office, you need to deliver. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay, I need to actually just move us on because a quick procedural point. Um, we are actually also asking you all a question today. So there will be a poll in chat um, going up now. So we'd love all our subscribers to reply to that and then we'll come back to the result at the end. Um, I want to move on to the next question because it's one that we've hinted at already and, and you know, um, time-wise is more important than ever. Anisha, you have a question for us? I do. Thanks for having me. Uh, just with the recent revelations on Trump's taxes, I wanted to get your thoughts on what impact those revelations would have on voters and the election result. Okay, Holly, do you want to start with that one? Sure. I, I really don't feel like it's going to have a huge amount of an effect, unfortunately. Um, if you sort of talk to a few people who are um, displaying Trump supporting things on Twitter, they'll tell you he's successful, he's smart. Um, this is just another kind of show of how clever he is and how he's been able to be a successful businessman and so on and so on. And um, I think also what's really important to bear in mind is that there's a general um, really big sense of libertarianism in America. Oh my God, I'm so sorry, my cat is walked over my keyboard. Um, <laughs> the joys of Zoom panel, panelist uh, experiences. Um, there's a general feeling of libertarianism across America. So essentially, um, there are a lot of people who would prefer there wasn't a government at all. Um, and I know that can be alien to some of us who are British. Um, but there's also a general sense that politicians are bad and um, that they all do it. That's something that I've heard a lot from people who I've spoken to who are in small Republican voting towns. They say that their family are not really moved by these sorts of revelations, that they say, well, politicians are corrupt. What do you think? But at least Trump says it. At least he tells us what he's doing. And um, that general impression that a lot of his base has is not really changing. And so I can't see them necessarily being moved to vote a different way just because of this. Ahmed, well, how would you weigh in on that? I mean, as, as Holly says, a lot of people are kind of, 
you know, getting one over on the tax pe- tax man is not something that most people feel strongly about. But but obviously, we're talking about the president of the United States, slightly different. But but what do you think on that? Do you think that normal people don't care about this issue, or do you think it it, it permeates that level? When it comes to Trump's base specifically, I think people should um, overall most uh, uh, pollsters and, and and people I see uh, you know, speculating about this uh, in articles. I think. They're, they're not going to be, I mean, we heard him on tapes saying he purposely downplayed coronavirus uh, and that didn't move him. And that's the most important issue. So I don't think this, when it comes to effect, I don't think it will affect Trump's base uh, per se. When it comes to undecideds, I don't know if this will be the issue to move it because when it comes to this specifically, we all have known uh, who he is. And the New York Times previously revealed he siphoned 413 million from his father's business through potentially fraudulent means. And I think it's important for the Biden campaign to focus on the, the, the fraud aspect and the, the overarching theme that he's been pushing that, that Trump is a cheat and he's cheated his way to the top. He's cheated the U S government. In this case, he defrauded customers at Trump university. We have all these documented cases of him um, essentially just committing uh, crimes in some cases. Um, and having to, to settle. Um, and I think mainly what, when it comes to this specifically, I think Biden is going to, the way uh, I think um, John was going to mention it, how Biden pulls it into the discussion. Biden lately has been pushing this narrative that it's uh, Park Avenue versus Scranton the past week or two weeks. And he's been trying to really target the working class um, in a way that, although Hillary did, did talk about it, um, it wasn't like the priority of the campaign. It looks like Biden is trying to make it the priority in this final stretch. And I think he's going to rope this in and say, hey, look, uh, he's just just like I was saying a couple of weeks ago. He's just like all the rich guys that inherited everything. And he looks he just like he he's called himself. He needs to bring up the fact he called himself smart for not paying taxes in 2016. And that ropes in the whole people who commit to public service are suckers thing and the whole. Trump looks down on you for following and playing by the rules, dignity of work, et cetera. So I think Biden will pull that in tomorrow at the debate. As to effect, I don't know. We all know who he is, but um, it's still objectively it's important um, because he, that's a lot of these deductions are, I think in the coming weeks we're going to learn weren't necessarily legit. 70K for a haircut, for haircuts. <laughs> Michael Cohen said he cuts his own hair. So um, I don't know if it's legit. I don't know much about that myself, obviously, but uh, um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. John, um, on that point, I mean, one, one aspect of this is not obviously only what's come out is the fact that it's been so hard for it to come out and it's not come out at the hands of Trump or from Trump's campaign. It's come from a New York Times report. Do you think that that has, does that get across to, you know, didn't normal people think about that? The fact that, A, we've got all these tax details, but the fact that, that Trump has hidden them for so long. Yeah, I think so. I, I think people um, look at that, but they look at it through the lens of which team are they on? Are they red or are they blue? Mm-hmm. And Trump's red. And um, to, to a certain extent, uh, it is a cult with some folks. It is a cultish like um, movement or whatever you want to, what word you want to use to describe this, this Trump movement. Um, so I think it comes down to what Ahmed was saying. How do suburban women who voted for him last time and broke for Democratic candidates in 2018 and uh, white working class folks in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, we know the list, North Carolina, how do they feel about Trump avoiding taxes? And will it be enough to prevent him from, you know, putting that, what was it, 86, 90,000 vote um, margin that put him over the top in the electoral college. I think Biden has to do exactly what Ahmed says uh, starting tomorrow night. Uh, He could have done it this afternoon, but uh, that's not how the Biden campaign rolls. He could have turned up the heat this morning on President Trump. Uh, But again, I'll just note, instead of doing that, I guess he's doing debate prep, but this would have been a great day for Biden could have done television hits from his house instead of turning up the heat on the president on this today. 
Biden is allowing the president to drive the narrative at 3.30, which I expect him to flip it back on the New York Times, call this an invasion of my privacy, only a partial look at my finances, which is an irresponsible report. I expect the president to call for a retraction this afternoon, and, and Biden is, is nowhere to be found. What do you think on that, Andrew? Do you think that, that, that John's right, you know, that there's a way out on, for Trump on this? I think, the, I think the biggest takeaway from this story for me is that there's this kind of collective shrug. It's, it's so sad. I mean, any other day, any other president, any other sort of generation, we'd have all been going, wow, this is crazy. This guy didn't pay his taxes for 15 years. And, oh, it's another Trump story. Is it going to stick? Is it going to be any different to sort of the access Hollywood? Um, I think, however, as we're talking about, as people get into the last 40 days of the election and as people have to make that decision, this can't help him. There's no way that, that, that this can be good for him. Elections are won and lost at the margins. If this, if this files of a few more voters from him in uh, these states that the folks are talking about, you know, it, it, it could make all the difference by itself, probably not. But at some point, people have to decide, I'm going to vote for this guy, or I'm going to vote for this guy. Is this going to be good for Trump? No. Mm. Okay, we'll move on to the next next question. Chris Spasson, are you there to, to ask our question? Yeah, Hi I'm there. here. Can you, you hear me? <laughs> we can. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, great. Now, my question comes in two closely related bits. The first bit is, um, Trump loses. Might um, it's likely he'll he won't concede, I shouldn't think, unless he really has to. Um, he'll call it invalid, illegitimate, he'll do all kinds of things. He will probably not even leave the White House. So, how would that be handled, do you think? Secondly, um, very tight. So, whoever wins, you're going to get some large chunk of the American voters who care pretty outraged. Do you think the politicians in the USA at all levels will be able to contain that um, outrage or do you think they'll stoke it? And do you think it will have any consequences for the American, the US political system? Andrew, that's a big question. Thanks, Chris. Uh, do you want to start with that one? I think uh, it, it's of intense concern to not just Democrats, but I think to the to country at, uh, at large at the moment, what happens on election night if Trump um, uh, declares victory and refuses to leave. Uh, I think there are already 200 lawsuits that are underway to try and um, uh, ensure uh, voter safeguards. Um, we have uh, 9,000 different election uh, communities, uh, organizations within the US. So there's a massive um, chaos uh, set in store for election night. I don't think anyone now believes that uh, we're going to get a result on election night. I don't think, I don't think most people think that. I mean, already 40% of people vote early or vote by mail. This year, it's likely to be as many as 70 Um and I think there is a real chance. Uh, there is a real chance for more violence. I think we saw what happened in places like Charlottesville. We saw what happened in places like Kenosha. We saw what happened in places with the militia who who lined up uh, in Michigan to try and um, to try and get the governor Whitmer to overturn the COVID restrictions. So there is a real opportunity for violence. A lot of people have guns in this country. Let's hope. Um, Let's hope politicians do rise to the to the moment and and uh, and you know seek to ease and solve that and unite things rather than tri rather than sparking the fears. But you know, think back to heck when was it two thousand that that election ran on for thirty five days before there was a result. Can you conceive of another month of un indecision? It's just going to be crazy. Yeah, Holly, what do, you, what do you think on that? I mean, how how is America going to react to this result either way? Well, I think uh, probably the scariest result is going to be if somebody wins the popular vote and then somebody wins the Electoral College, because that will allow Trump 
to say that one of those is illegitimate um, or was somehow um, conspired against him in some way. Um, I mean, I do think that there will be a peaceful transition within the sort of immediate White House, um, because I think that Trump imagines his base being everywhere. But of course, um, the Republicans who either are disillusioned by him or even who love him are not going to stand by him if a free and fair election says that he's no longer the president. I mean, we had uh, Mitch McConnell come out and say after Trump did a particularly controversial press conference recently that there will be a peaceful and normal transition um, if Trump loses the election. And Mitch McConnell has stood by Trump through thick and thin, you know, through the impeachment, etc. And so I think that the establishment politicians within the Republican Party will make that a normal transition. But on the streets, as you say, it will be a very different story. And Trump will, of course, be on his Twitter. He will be um, trying to get in front of any camera that will have him, um, potentially on Fox News, talking about how his base should come out and um, challenge what he will probably call illegitimate or he will do a few dog whistles around that. Um, and I mean, I think that Biden being the sort of anti-outrage candidate is a good thing in that way, because if there was a Bernie Sanders or somebody a little bit more progressive, then it would make things a lot worse. Although there has been a really interesting narrative that has come out recently that Trump is really pushing, uh, where he says that Biden is this sort of doddery old fool and he's being used um, by the puppet masters who are socialist in the Democratic Party. And so in that way, he is potentially going to be able to stoke up some outrage around Biden. But Biden does manage to look very presidential and he is running on a sort of platform of being much less divisive. So hopefully um, there will originally mm. obviously be some chaos, but hopefully he can kind of turn that around. Yeah, Ahmed, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously, Clinton supporters kind of, by and large, reacted obviously peacefully and, and, and accepted the result last time. But but we're looking at a very different America now. What, what, how do you think it will go? I think um, I think uh, everyone, everyone's takes are absolutely right. So far, I don't think that there's going to be, when it comes to the peaceful transition component first, I'm going to uh, say that before I dive into the next part. Uh, it's, I think it will be peaceful, and especially with members of the military coming out saying they won't be used as a tool um, during this. I think, you know, Trump's not going to hold up with the military at the White House. Uh, but I do think when it comes to the mail-in ballots, uh, voter fraud lies, et cetera, I think Trump's been building this plan for quite some time. I don't think he came mm. up with it, but I think people in the circle did. I think we're going to see Trump declare victory no matter what happens on the night of the election unless he loses Florida unless he's behind in Florida that's the only way he can't do it but if uh, he's ahead in Florida on the early on the early results because his plan I personally think was to cast dispersions on mail-in ballot so that Republicans would vote in person so that Democrats could still vote mail-in so that those delayed ballots would be counted and then the night of the election he says look I won all the other uh Ballots coming in the next few days, those are all fraudulent, just like I've been saying for months. I've called this. And then he's going to contest it with the lawsuits. Good thing on the Biden campaign for already spending their sizable financial lead on lawyers to put on the ground, um, having learned lessons from, you know, Bush v. Bush v. Gore in 2000. So they're preparing for all of that in the immediate aftermath. And Marco Rubio's response was one of the most important because he specifically mentioned, we're going to wait for the results at, um, to come in. Um, when he talked uh, back at Trump for doing the peaceful transition of power remarks, whereas McConnell just said there will be a peaceful transition, Rubio seemed to commit to waiting for the ballots to be counted. So on that front, I think Trump will make a lot of noise and there will be chaos. And I'm mostly, I'm not worried about Democrats stoking um, chaos when he's doing this. I think they'll largely for the most part be tamping it down as Holly pointed out. Biden's been, been being very measured, but Trump is going to be in his bunker. He probably won't be in the bunker, but he'll be tweeting um, and he'll be urging his people to go out there and protest. And um, I mean, he, he's never been averse to that. So he'll be, and then I think that's when that's going to be most, the most volatile period, I think throughout all of the Trump presidency will be between November 3rd and January 20th. 
Um, and we just have to hunker down and make sure that uh, cooler heads prevail. And uh, hopefully the Supreme Court, I don't think Gorsuch or Roberts would rule to, to overturn election results, personally. Um, I think that they would side. I haven't seen this much from Cav, so just want to throw in the SCOTUS angle because that, that's his big push. He's hoping he can try to, you know, halt recounts or halt vote counting or something along those lines. So it'll be chaotic, but I think um, Democrats will tamp it down. Republicans will, Trump will largely end it up. But in the end, I believe we'll have a president on January 21st, regardless. Thanks for that. I wanted to follow up. Someone uh, has entered a, a question, a follow-up question on this same topic. Uh, Dean J, uh, John, if you want to take this one. If Trump lost or contested the election and Trump refuses to step down, what would happen next? How could this be resolved legally? At a basic kind of level, what, what would we expect if, if that were to happen? As everyone else has said, and I'll try to be quick so we can, can get as many questions in as possible. You know, it goes, it, it, yet another lawsuit, uh, some form of a lawsuit like Bush v. Gore uh, would quickly work its way all the way to the Supreme Court. And uh, I, my hunch is the same as Ahmed's that um, at least two of the three or, or two of the three Trump justices plus Roberts vote with the liberals. I don't think they're going to start throwing out ballots because they were mailed in and, and legitimate. I just, I, and I don't, I, I really question whether Amy Coney Barrett wants that to be one of her first big decisions to overthrow an entire election. That would be a hell of a way uh, to start a Supreme Court appointment. Uh, I do think there will be chaos if, if Trump tries what Ahmed very smartly laid out, which looks like his plan. If Trump tries to pull that off, I think uh, the two keys to watch are, can we get to January 6th or 7th? That's when a joint session of Congress would meet to certify the election, the electoral college results. And then the person to watch in all this is probably Mitch McConnell. I was at the White House many days when Trump was uh, upset about spending bills and possible shutdowns and what have you. And it was McConnell and then Speaker Paul Ryan had to get in the car and drive down the street and talk the president down, if you will. And um, I don't think Kevin McCarthy quite has the sway that, that Paul Ryan had. I think it'll be Mitch who has to go down the street, go to the Oval or up to the residence of the White House and tell the president he has to stand down. And, and is, there, is there any chance, I mean, are we being unfair in our questioning here? Do you think there's any chance that the president puts his hands up and says, fair, I'll go, you know, he keeps telling us how nice his life was before he came to the White House. Is there any chance that he'll just let it go? You'd never say never with Donald Trump. There's a, there's a chance that he stays in there uh, until that, you know, I, I don't think he would go to the Capitol for a Biden swearing in event. Uh, there's a chance he stays. I'm not ruling out that President Biden's first order would be for the Secret Service and the U.S. Marshal Service to go escort Donald Trump off the White House grounds because he's a citizen and he's trespassing. I, I can't rule anything out when it comes to, to Trump. What are your thoughts on that, Andrew? Um... Well, I think sort of. I think one of the things that that, that is in that is in favour is that there is a great sense within uh, uh, within America amongst people uh, amongst American citizens is that this system uh, that they have imperfect as we all may know it is kind of works in the end. And I think you almost feel you. I'm always struck when people talk fondly. Of Richard Nixon um, quitting and flying out from the helicopter, and there not being a war uh, in in the streets of Washington D.C. Um, I mean, it's kind of pretty crazy that we're having to sort of go back to Nixon to sort of you know find any sort of parallel. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, does could Trump find some way to spin it and then find you know it's all about him? If he thinks he's genuinely lost, I guess it's about how he sort of uh, salves his ego, how he gets deals with his narcissism. Um, I think uh, the points everyone else has made about Biden being a, a calm statesman-like figure are all very good. But I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think we're going to be in for a, a calm November. I, I really don't. Mm. 
and we're getting lots of questions on this topic so we should probably um rest on it a little while um russell smith's asking um isn't the u.s election over with trump's plan to ignore mail-in ballots and seek victory in the supreme court i mean this is kind of you know the same theme but um slightly different question mail-in ballots obviously is something that we've suddenly been hearing about a lot more um in the last couple of months how big do you think this issue is to this election andrew mail-in ballots how how, how right. central i mean well, Ahmed talk, spoke to that but i think sort of it's quite interesting isn't it that trump has sort of has already you know set out two things one is to sort of uh to denigrate um the integrity of the election saying that this is all these ballots are all going to be sort of open to fraud even though there isn't any evidence um he's also tried to draw a distinction between absentee ballots and mail-in ballots which is a marginal difference in these kind of documents. He, he even used one of these previously. Um, what I think we could find, uh, which is a real, just a practical problem on, on election night though, is that if you consider that 40% of people already vote early or use election or, or do mail-in ballots, let's say they're expecting that to double this year, so maybe six, uh, 70, 75%. Um, and with a postal service that really doesn't have enough resources, I think, you know, long delays, there's going to be chaos of some sort. Um, not, not simply uh, the questioning of these ballots, are these kind of things signed properly, just dealing with them and counting them. There was a piece in the New Yorker recently um, when someone went and sat at, uh, um, at the ballot checking place in, in New York for one of the primaries. And it took days and days and days just to sort of um, to go through this recount. I think it was, you know, it took a month to validate in the end. So, you know, if we all have all those things happening, I think, I think we could be in for, a, you know, uh, a delayed result for sure. Mm. And then, of course, the kind of knock-on is, is, is what kind of Ahmed was talking to, um, you know, and we've all hinted at that it kind of undermines their confidence in the result. If, if Trump's able to keep reiterating this point that, that the process isn't fair, you know, we keep coming back to, to a way to kind of contest it after the result is in, which feeds into that. Um, our next question also is kind of linked to this uh, topic. Um, Zebedee, Albie, um, if you are there, thank you for your question, Chris. Uh, Zebedee, are you there? Yeah, hello. Um, hi. Hi. Yeah, someone who lives in the UK, I don't really understand uh, about the electoral college system, but it doesn't really seem to be uh, strike me as being a truly democratic system. What, what are your views? Uh, John, I feel like do you want to take this one. Uh, the, the question well, you get asked by all your British colleagues all the time, I think. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it, it's a unique system, to say the least. It's controversial. If you win, you love it. If you lose, you hate it. Hillary Clinton clearly uh, probably the leader of the the haters right now the electoral college because she won the popular vote but it's there to protect the the smaller states the states with um with less population so the you know the bigger states the new yorks the texases the californias just don't overrun them on policy all the time in washington so it 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 serves a purpose um i don't uh, i'll be succinct on this and wrap up I don't think it matters very much whether it's democratic or not. It's the system we have. It's in the Constitution. It's not going anywhere. Ahmed, do you want to weigh in on the uh, question? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, as I wrote recently in an independent article, uh, it was, I think it, I think it, personally, I think it is undemocratic. Um, and as John excellently you know, pointed out, it was designed to, to wait uh, you know, less, less populated states and actually slave states in the earlier days to give, you know, more, more products that are not left in the dust by the North. But as it's turned out, um, in, my, in my opinion, it's morphed more into minority rule, whereas uh, the, the smallest portion of the company that's really regressive and, uh, you know, has their own views are kind of doing, doing what the opposite of what the Electoral College was meant for, right? They're, they're inflicting their views on the majority. Um, in a lot of ways, given the disproportionate allocation. And as we see, Trump's able to ignore certain states, future presidents as well. Um, and of course, I'll try to be succinct as well. I think, uh, personally, I'm not a fan of it. Obviously, it's, it will take an amendment. It's going to be very hard to 
uh, to change, but there are, of course, things you can do at the state level to boost democracy. I think one of the ways uh, you can combat it is just over, over uh, overall increasing voting rights and maybe we'll see Democrats pushing like DC statehood, Puerto Rico statehood to try to balance things. No, Holly, did you have something to follow up on that point with? I mean, I, I would say that I agree um, with Ahmed mainly that I, I think it's a fairly undemocratic uh, process. It's still, it does leave states uh, like say California or even Texas, which do have, um, you know, some of the most delegates are still they're still underrepresented and it does leave smaller states overrepresented and it has then had that effect as Ahmed said of a bit of minority rule um but as John said it's in the constitution um it's very very unlikely this is ever going to go away um I think one way of possibly making it slightly more democratic would be to make sure that every state has a law um, to say that the people on the electoral college need to follow the popular vote within their own state because most states do have that law now but not all of them do and some people sitting in the electoral college you know who are supposed to be representing the citizens of the state um, can choose to go against how people voted within that state and that really needs to end. Okay, well, thank you for your questions, everybody. I think we have one uh, time to squeeze in one more that I've just seen pop up from um, uh, Yasmin Watkins. Um, Yasmin's asking, do you think the Lincoln Project and other anti-Trump Republican campaigns have had any impact? Holly, what do you think about that? Sorry, could you repeat the question? I had a bit yeah, of a tech of glitch there. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, do you think the Lincoln Project and other anti-Trump Republican campaigns have had any impact? Yes, I, I do. Um, especially from uh, people who I have right as columnists at the moment who are sort of long-term Republican voters um, who have been tempted across by the Lincoln Project. I think it's... Um, there's definitely a vast swathe of Republicans who vote that way just because they are um, they are interested in preserving a status quo. And Trump has now gone way beyond status quo. I think they were happy to go so far with Trump, but in the last year, things have really turned around. And I think that the campaigning that the Lincoln Project does on behalf of Biden, essentially, is um, probably some of the most powerful campaigning that I have seen during this electoral cycle. So I would say so long as those kind of suburban people go out and vote rather than sitting at home and thinking, oh, well, you know, I voted for Trump, but now I don't feel that comfortable about it now. As long as they can, can be convinced that Biden is a candidate that they can vote for and that Trump is bad enough to vote against, I think there could potentially be a huge effect. Andrew, what are your thoughts on the Lincoln Project? It's something that, you know, we've seen a lot and, and they've been getting a lot of headlines in, in this campaign. Do you think that they're having um, the impact that they want? Well, listen, I, I don't know. I have to assume they are. Like Holly said, they're sort of very effective, they're very passionate and they're very well put together and they're incredibly well funded. The massive amount of money in American politics. Every year we talk about how this year is going to be the biggest election in terms of money. Uh, 2020 is certainly going to be that one. Um, they are good. What, 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 one of the things I think that it's just worth sort of, sort of pointing out about Trump is we often talk about how he had uh, he had the sort of support of white working class men, but lots of people voted for Donald Trump in in, in 2016. Hispanics, you know, 30% of Hispanics voted for Donald Trump in in 2016 a lot of suburban women. You had uh, uh, 15 to 20% of African-Americans. You had people on Wall Street who wanted the tax cut. You had religious conservatives. So he had quite a coalition. And then, of course, he also had a lot of mainstream establishment Republicans. Um, if this Lincoln Project can chip enough away enough of these guys and women and just say, listen, you know, this is too embarrassing. This is not um, Republican. Your policies are not... Uh, um, I'm not in the sort of uh, in the tradition of Reagan. Again, it could be just enough. But like I keep saying, it's sort of I sound like a um, an echo. But you know, these elections are, are are won and lost at the margins, right? And if it just chips away, if that goes with the tax cuts, adds up to those numbers against Trump, it could make all the difference. 
Okay, well, I feel like that is a good point at which to wrap up our event. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I'm actually going to just cut to our poll, if I can bring up the poll result. I think at last count. Uh, so who, there we go. Um, who do you think is going to win? 70% Biden, 30% Trump. So we shall see. But um, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Um, I have to uh, add... Um, to encourage everyone to subscribe to our um, premium uh, independent accounts where you get um, free early tickets for amazing events like this, which we have a number coming up um, soon. So those will be in the chat panel. Thank you to everybody who asked a question. Sorry to everyone whose questions that we didn't get to. And thanks to our brilliant panel for uh, their insights. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. Remember, If you want to take part in events like that one and have access to exclusive content, then click the link in the description of this podcast and subscribe to Independent Premium.